Welcome to Illinois Family Spotlight, a conversation about faith, family, freedom, the state of Illinois, our nation, and conservative action. Here's David Smith and Monty Larrick. Thanks for making Illinois Family Spotlight part of your day. I'm Monty Larrick. Dr. Alan Carlson leads the International Organization for the Family, based in Rockford. Dr. Carlson is a proponent of the natural family and large families. Well, the natural family is ordained in, uh, in Holy Scripture, starting very much with uh, Genesis 1 and 2. About 80% of what you need to know about family life is right there, that uh, men and women come together. They form a one flesh union for the purpose of procreation and rearing of children. And not much has changed in the years that have come since. And that is the natural family. There's attempts to create artificial families or broken families. There, Those appear as well. But what God intends and what any healthy, normal human society wants are natural families. You want families that are going to procreate to children, rear them responsibly, and also build a community, a little community, a home that's a nest of love and support and of civic responsibility and obligation, economic responsibility and obligation. All of these things are covered, I think, by the term natural family. You contend that the ongoing retreat from marriage is leading to rapid growth of the state, which means a bigger welfare system, etc. Precisely. The family is the natural welfare system. It takes care of the very young when they are helpless and need support. The family takes care of the very old when they are helpless and need support. It's a web of obligation that spans the generations. And when families are healthy, and I'm talking not just the nuclear family of parents and children, but also attachment to the elderly grandparents, and and indeed to the whole line of those who've come before and those who come after, a sense of obligation to them. When that happens, the state can be really small. It's certainly not needed to handle the problems uh, that come in the normal, everyday problems of human life. This family is there to take care of it, to provide education, to provide uh, social protection, to provide care when you're sick, when you fall into trouble. All of those things are covered by the family. So, uh, no, yes, the, uh, when the family is not there, when the family fails, when the culture actually almost punishes people who get married, the state must grow to cover at least some of the problems that are still out there. Is some of that by design? Oh, sometimes. I think it's more by neglect. Certainly the state bureaucrats have an interest in seeing their budgets grow, their responsibilities grow, and there are some ideologues out there who really do want to see children socialized. They want to see children, in a sense, at least in an intellectual and moral sense, taken away from their parents so that they can be re-educated for some sort of a project or some agenda that they may have. So that's there. Well, as you know, back in 2015, the Supreme Court said yes to so-called gay marriage. What is the state of the natural family in the wake of that ruling? The natural family in the United States faces real challenges. Now, the Supreme Court could say that. doesn't make gay marriages real marriages. It doesn't negate the concept of the natural family. Those are things written in divine law, in natural law. That cannot be changed. What we have to do uh, as active, particularly as active believing Christians, we cannot violate the law directly unless it deeply offends our conscience, perhaps in the trade we do for a baker, for example. I understand that. But with that said, what we have to do is do the best we can to support 
defend and protect our own families, to support and protect and defend those little institutions that are there to help protect us, active, vital Christian congregations, to choose an example, uh, small communities of friends and colleagues who can help us support each other and encourage each other. So far, uh, with a few exceptions, the aggressive post-natural family state has not arrested people and certainly has not yet burst into homes and seized children just because they're Christians. That may be coming, I understand, but it hasn't happened yet. We don't want to exaggerate our peril at this point, but we do need to be prepared. You talk about depopulation, and of course some of that has to be due to abortion, but also parents deciding to have smaller families or just not having kids at all. We're making a mistake, aren't we? Well, what we're doing is falling prey, I think, to, uh, to whispers in our ears that somehow we'll be happier and uh, we'll be more content and we'll be healthier if we avoid children. The opposite is true. And all the evidence, the social science evidence, points to that truth. With that said, the whisper's coming from an old foe, from Satan. And he's still out there. He's very active these days. And he's, he's, he does a pretty good job in whispering that, oh, avoid children. Most people who avoid children when they reach their 50s and 60s and 70s wish they hadn't. But we are making a mistake. Our culture, particularly the culture, uh, the dominant culture of the media, the dominant culture in, in film and television, is corrupting and very corrupting. The old stories of mothers' true devotion, of, uh, of wonderful fathers, of families as centers of, of happiness, all of which were true in a very fundamental way, those have been driven out, except for a few of the more obscure channels on the, on, on the cable TV. We're also hearing from the hardline climate change activists that more kids are bad for the environment. What's your message? My message is that irresponsible actions relative to the environment are, again, an, an example of, of sinful human nature. We do need to behave responsibly. I'm not here to deny that some aspects of what we'll call climate change have human antecedents. The funny thing, which you already ever hear, is that that's been going on for about 15,000 years. An early example was when the Chinese tore down their forests and put in rice paddies. It changed the climate of the country, of the place where they were. So human beings have been doing this for an awfully long time. And even, even in Genesis, again, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. God did not want us just to leave things alone. So we're, we're there, but we're responsible stewards. So I think that's the key. It's not overpopulation, it's uh, irresponsible behavior. So I do think particularly Christian families need to learn how to live responsibly. And that means even living with less. This is actually, I'm, I'm not a Roman Catholic, but actually uh, uh, Francis's, Pope Francis's uh, encyclical on the environment had a lot of good things to say about living responsibly. He said, look to the Holy Family of, of Nazareth as an example of how one should live. So if you're flying around the world in private jets to promote climate change, maybe you're not uh, falling in line with uh, what God has to say about the environment. In fact, what God would tell those people is that uh, if you've got some free time on your hands, go plant some trees. You'll do far more by planting 100 trees to uh, protect the climate than attending an international conference at the United Nations on climate change. You know, I had a conversation recently with a young woman who has a couple kids, Christian lady, devout, but worried what her two young boys are going to be facing in the future. We know that persecution is coming. Bible predicts it. What would 
you say to a person in that situation who wonders, should I really bring kids into the world in this day and age? My answer is yes, indeed. And in fact, have some more. You won't regret it. But why do I say that? Well, there's always a tendency, and I'm a historian, I've seen these things before, always a tendency to think we live in the worst of times. The things have never been this bad before. It's just awful. It's terrible. And why bring children into this horrible experience? Things have been bad before. In fact, most of the time, they're bad. We just, the nature of that changes. I think specifically of the first two or three centuries of, of, of the Christian era, the early church, the first, second, and third centuries, under constant persecution by the Roman Empire, death in the arena, many other ways, your property could be seized, you'd be thrown into prison, families were being broken up and disrupted. What did the early Christians do? Well, they didn't organize a rebellion. What they did was they went about their business. They went around marrying, they went around having children and raising them. The Roman pagans had practiced infanticide, abortion, birth control. Their marriage system was a complete mess and a disaster. The Christians had strong marriages, they had strong families, they had big families. And to be quite frank, what happened in the end, to put it simply, the Christians outbred the pagans. Uh, they had children and they raised them. They did what they could to protect their communities in times of persecution, but people still died. People lost property, bad things happened, but they went about their business and eventually they prevailed. The example is only to show is that bad things happened before to Christians in particular, but to any other group that are trying to be faithful to, to the natural family model. But if they focus on what they should be doing, do it with fearlessly and intelligently, and be as wise as, a, as wise as the fox in these matters, it's not a time to run away from having children. It's a time to have them. It's a time to embrace them. It's a time to rear and protect them. They are the future. And people that have children are the future. And show your faith in an all-powerful God. He can get you through this. Precisely. And again, we've never been promised, if you read Old and New Testament, we've never been promised a happy, easy life. In fact, I think as you mentioned a little earlier, there's, there's many warnings. Times of trouble are coming. There's a, an apocalypse coming, maybe closer than we think. But our job is not to predict that uh, or precisely say it's going to happen next week or next Tuesday. Our job is to be faithful. And God has made promises to his followers, to believers in, in Jesus, to followers of the Christian tradition, the Christian faith. In the end, you're victorious. That's already guaranteed. What you're called to now is to faithfulness and to do the best you can, even in a difficult time. And this has been true of Christian believers for 2,000 years. Dr. Carlson, what role should pastors, the church, be playing in promoting the idea of big families? Well, they should be playing a major role. I do want to underscore that Christianity is not a fertility cult. But what Christianity is, is that if you are faithful to Christian teachings uh, on sexuality, on marriage, on family life, you will have a lot of children. That comes from the, from, it's a sign of, of fidelity, which I think is the way to look at it. Pastors should be teaching, again, about the wrong of fertility control, particularly in the aggressive form that we've been seeing in our, in, in recent decades. It's, it's a little- Abortifacients. Abortifacients. And I'll even raise the issue no one likes to talk about anymore but birth control. Little known fact, until about 50 years ago, every Protestant church in, in, in America, well, actually, I should say until about 80 years ago, every Protestant church in America opposed, formally and officially opposed birth control. We've dropped that. That was part of the Christian message. 
uh, I think it should be rethought through again because there is our linkages, clear linkages between once you go through birth control, once you say sex and, and marriage uh, and fertility are no, no longer intimately tied together, all kinds of troubles follow. I think we need to think that through again as Christians, as hard as that is. But if you're faithful to the Christian witness, as it has been given over the centuries, you will have a large family. And pastors should be preaching those points. I'll give them a pass right now on birth control, but they ought to at least start talking about aggressive fertility control. Is something, is this God-pleasing? I'm not sure if it is, I think not. But they should be talking about divorce is not a solution to most problems, it's an aggravation of problems, and it's a creation of new problems. Pastors don't like to preach about these things, I get that. But they start having to have to do that, and they start having to need to, to, to preach about the Christian orientation towards, towards marriage, towards one flesh unions, and the Christian orientation towards uh, having children and rearing them and raising them is a godly duty. So what does God want? He wants godly seed. That's in the book of Malachi at the end of the Old Testament. That's what God wants. Makes it pretty clear. It's all very simple. Uh, <laughs> just get out there and take care of your duty. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Alan Carlson. We will continue our conversation just a few moments, including the idea that uh, maybe Christian conservatives are afraid of winning. Coming up. This is Michael Medved at michaelmedved.com for Town Hall. On one point regarding our country's current condition, Republicans and Democrats seem to agree. Three quarters in both parties say religion is losing influence in American life. According to a new study for Pew Research Center, Republicans consider that a bad thing by a ratio of nine to one, while half of Democrats say they're okay with the trend. 22% say religion's decline makes no difference, while 25% insist that it's a positive development. But if organized faith continues to lose influence, what force should take its place? Climatism, a new faith, derided by Yosef Yaffe in Commentary Magazine, promises earthly annihilation instead of heavenly salvation. For a hundred years, Marx's true believers created heavens on earth that became living hells for hundreds of millions, and unbridled secular materialism has recently spurred surging rates of deaths of despair. The spectacular failure of potential substitutes for organized faith have only served to emphasize its irreplaceability. I'm Michael Medved. Thanks once again for joining Illinois Family Spotlight. Monty Larrick here, joined by Dr. Alan Carlson, a senior fellow at the International Organization for the Family based in Rockford. Dr. Carlson, Democrats want to remove the tax-exempt status for churches and faith organizations that don't support gay marriage or gay orthodoxy, you contend that Christians and social conservatives are not pushing back hard enough, that their messaging really needs to be stronger. And it's not just uh, this proposal among the Democratic candidates. They're also pushing the so-called equality amendment that has passed the U.S. House. So our message isn't strong enough. There was a time until not too many generations ago when Christians had absolutely no fear or hesitation in writing Christian family and sexual ethics into law and enforcing that law. For about 80 years now, Christians have steadily retreated on these matters, first on contraception, then on abortion, 
And I say that because many Christian churches had endorsed liberalized abortion before Roe v. Wade came along. That's another kind of a sad story in the history of Christian life in the 20th century. And right now, uh, Christians are falling into, I think, a trap. I believe in religious liberty, but if that's all you've got, you're constantly on the defensive. And I'm afraid all Christians seem to be the people kind of cringing in the corners. Let me alone. I'm really not all that convinced that my values are correct. I certainly don't want to write them in law. You can do whatever you want to do, but uh, just leave me alone. That's a losing proposition. You will not be left alone. I can guarantee that. So while I believe very much in the defense of religious liberty and feel that uh, it needs to be forcefully advocated at this point in time, if that's all you've got in your play bag, you're going to lose in the long run because someone is going to write the law. Someone's going to write the law on, on sex, on family, on marriage. And I'm afraid Christians have gotten kind of used to saying, well, I'm not so sure about my values anymore. The Muslims are sure about their values. They take over a place. They write Sharia law right in. Why? Because they believe it. They think it's right. They think it's true. They think it's what God wants. Christians used to do that too, but not too much anymore. And there's even a way in which Christians can become somewhat complacent. I think that's, I'm not, not going to name names or organizations, but uh, on the, uh, the pro-life message right now. I mean, abortion was legalized uh, by Roe v. Wade in all 50 states almost 50 years ago. And what has changed since then? Not much. Uh, if anything, abortion is probably easier to get today than it certainly it was within the first 10 years after. Certainly here in Illinois. And here in Illinois, it's, uh, yeah, it's very, very easy indeed. I think we stopped thinking about grabbing onto big things. Like, what could we have done? Well, for example, we should have challenged the U.S. Constitution long ago. We should have challenged one of the provisions of the U.S. Constitution allows the, uh, the Congress of the United States to limit or change or alter the, uh, the competency of the federal courts in certain things. Uh, I think it would have been strongly advisable early on to uh, pass a measure in the House of Representatives and the Senate, signed by the President, to say that uh, the Supreme Court of the United States has no competence on the family law of the states. Would have been a constitutional crisis. Good. We should have had one long ago. I will just use that as an example of what I mean by we become complacent with losing. We become used to losing. A strong Christian community would be seeking to win, seeking to write Christian family and sexual ethics back into state law and into federal law. We're far from that right now. Well, there are efforts to challenge Illinois' big new pro-abortion law. You would wholeheartedly endorse that. Sure. Let's, let's do it. Let's try. Let's see if the court has changed under under the uh, the Trump administration. Let's see whether the federal court has changed. I hope it has, but I'm 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 used to being <laughs> disappointed <laughs> by uh, by federal appointees. Once they uh, once they reach the federal court, many of them get squishy and again get used to losing. Well, let's see what happens. So certainly, I support that that attempt. A lot of pro life leaders, I would imagine, would suggest that you're right, but you have to deal with political reality. And we can only get this much with the makeup of the U.S. Congress, the U.S. Supreme Court, with the makeup of the Illinois General Assembly. What would you say? Well, on the one hand, I understand that. Uh, I'm not going to burn down the buildings or anything like that. What I'm trying to do is make a point is that we've gotten used to being in a losing posture for a long time and find it even hard now to know what it would mean to win. 
What would it mean, for example, to actually get a Supreme Court decision overturning Roe v. Wade, allowing the states to recriminalize abortion? Are we ready for that? Do we know what we would do? There's kind of a comfort zone that we're in. It's not an easy comfort zone. That's what I guess I'm getting at. I understand the need to be practical. Uh, certainly practical politics is a necessity. I also think, though, that the Republican Party has proven to be an extremely frail institution to rely on for pro-family and pro-life advocacy. Even when some really good candidates have come up here in Illinois, uh, the gubernatorial uh, Jeannie Ives, this last time around, a great candidate who I think would have done a really great job. But the established Republican Party crushed her. She still almost won, but they still made it sure that she could never get in. And that's been so true time and again, year after year here in Illinois. The Republican Party is not capable of being effectively pro-life and pro-family. We need a new party. We need a party that doesn't, is not beholden to rich Chicago business leaders who really don't believe in the values of, uh, of, of a Christian civilization. But is a third party, a new party, really something viable? The Democrats and Republicans, they get all the donations. Third parties just uh, really don't make a go of it. Well, it's even worse than that because there's a number of Illinois laws which actually give huge advantages to the two big parties. It makes it hard for a third party to break through. I'm not quite sure of the strategy. I'm still pondering this. But I, I think the Republican Party is about to break up. It, it's a coalition of the great financial houses of Wall Street, the, the really, the corporations uh, that are increasingly being revealed as strongly anti-family. And I'm thinking of groups like Google and Amazon.com and of social conservatives who provide the votes for the party. It's not going to hold together. So I... I don't, I'm not sure what's coming next, but I do predict this. The Republican coalition is breaking apart. Uh, where social conservatives go, how large their vote total is, I think it's pretty large. Certainly, the, uh, I think here in Illinois, at least 30 to 40 percent of the voters would respond to a compelling message. And I think an unknown number of uh, African Americans and Hispanic voters, who were they, if they were given a real voice and a real choice in this, would come to the side of a new party. They're not gonna vote with Wall Street. They're not gonna vote with the financial captains of Chicago, but they might vote. They might vote for an authentic pro-Christian, pro-family, pro-life party. Might take a two or three election cycles to make a dent. Indeed, it won't happen overnight. And it's gonna be, well, things are ugly right now already as we've talked about. Illinois is being run by, the, by a party that uh, has proven uh, almost by its every action, that it cares little for children, it cares little for unborn, almost nothing, cares nothing for unborn children, and cares very little for, the, for any form of, of viable, independent, autonomous family life. So it's bad. Part of my point, though, was that it was bad. Rome, 50 AD, 100 AD, faithful Christians did what they had to do to, to survive and indeed even in their own way to thrive, despite how bad the external culture and the external political situation became. Are Christians afraid of winning. Well, I worry about that sometimes. I think we can, surely. Now, we were, it is true that at least statistics on weekly church attendance or last couple of decades have taken a hit. And I, I'm sure it is true that younger generations, those in their 20s and 30s, have uh, not been impressed by the churches they've been seen, that they've seen or been introduced to. And I think in part it's because of Christian, I think one of the reasons is Christian churches have become very weak, have become uh, afraid of their own values. I think what needs to be done is uh, 
uh, the the Christian message, not only the well, certainly the, the the message of salvation and of hope and of the triumph of uh, of Christ over sin, but also the Christian message of a uh, of a family system that provides health and happiness and security, that a family system that answers has the answers to loneliness, the answers to all the the emptiness that people feel these days, it's there. And it needs to be made not some sort of old-fashioned things our grandparents did, but needs to be seen as it was, again, uh, 1900 years ago. This is exciting. This is revolutionary. This is really something. And uh, it has answers that I've been looking for. That's what churches need to proclaim. Not going to do it by hiding away from issues like divorce. Churches are going to have to face those right up, right up front. When they do that, I think results will be quite extraordinary. Yeah, there will be more persecution, but I think there will be more success in the long run. And that's where we're going to go unless we are willing to surrender to the, to the forces of darkness. You're not ready to surrender. No, but I'm, fortunately, I'm only, I'm 70 now, so I, <laughs> uh, the, bat, the big battles are coming ahead. But I encourage my children, my grandchildren to fight those battles. Thank you so much, Dr. Alan Carlson with the International Organization for the Family. Where can people connect? Well, uh, contact, uh, contact us. Type in International Organization for Family. We've got a website. Uh, go there. And uh, World Congress of Families is another place you need to go look at. There's websites that will pursue that. And those congresses are open, generally, to, uh, to people who would want to come and attend. And those who've come almost always claim it was a life-changing experience. We'll look forward to that. God bless you and your ministry, and God bless you folks for listening. Please support the work of the Illinois Family Institute. Tell a friend about Illinois Family Spotlight. Take care. Thank you for listening to Illinois Family Spotlight. For more information, please visit us at ifiaction.org and look for us on Facebook and Twitter. If you would like to email us questions or comments, please do so at feedback at ifiaction.org. Until next time, stay engaged and keep your eyes on the prize. 